0: or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996.
1: Before we delve into the power of language and words and and do our poetry reading, uh, somewhat pushing the envelope in terms of programmatic issues here, (laughs) um, we need to go about the room and introduce ourselves as we usually do. I'm Marvin Snow. Douglas Hall. Um,
2: I'm I begin, my.
3: Anthony.
4: Joe Good.
5: Oliver. <coughs> Carl Bull. Peter. Mark. John. David Lewis. Mark McCullough. Ron Almeka. George Hubbard. Richard Hedden. Mm-hmm. Patrick Latelier, Bill Childs. Steve Carson.
6: Mm-hmm. Peter Walshbarton. Jim Stewart. David Margolis.
4: Dean Bellwig. David Lee Robbins,
7: Ray Dyer, Paul Shepard, Jack Fusby, Sean Wheaton, Daniel Well, welcome everybody.
1: Um, <coughs> we're, it's a little free form the, uh, the program, for the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, everyone was invited to select a poem that you would read and share with the group, one of your favorites, or one that you felt would have impact on, on the group. Um, you know, thinking about how this fits into a Buddhist setting, um, we, are, we are sentient human beings and one of the most uh, defining characteristics of being a, a sentient human being is our language skill. <coughs> language has an ability to uh, make us happy, sad, make us laugh and cry. Uh, it's a tool that communicates uh, a lot of valuable information. The withholding of language can damage people <coughs> by not sharing valuable information. So, as we uh, as we listen to these poems, we should just enjoy them, uh, but also uh, think about language and how that affects your life in, in the, in, after you leave here and the, the community that you live in. So, with that, uh, is there anybody else who has an introductory remark,
8: Jim? Yeah. <coughs> <laughs> 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 uh, well, you know we. We all know innately about the power of words and how we've used them well and how we've used them poorly, you know, I guess in terms of right speech, um, we can plug it into uh, Buddhist. And um, and there's, you know, the, in the every tradition there is this great honoring of the word, that there's this infinite power that somehow can get expressed through, through a human word. Um, and we just thought we'd explore that. Everyone, Everyone has uh, a lyric, or a, a poem, or a passage from a book or something that has knocked them <laughs> repeatedly um, off their stand, you know, So it was just an opportunity to share that. And we're going to be exploring the use of voice in four different sections in the next two months. Um, in two weeks, um, uh, Brian Baker, who's a wonderful a choral conductor, is going to lead us in some warm-ups and exploring the different locations of voice in the body. And uh, we're going to be doing some singing together. And then, uh, two two weeks later, um, Shantai is going to lead us in Buddhist chanting. And then two weeks later, Muriel Gonzalez is going to lead us in uh, Qigong stuff. they using the six healing sounds, uh, directing um, the use of sound to different organs
1: for healing. And it's a great self-care tradition. And that's it. So, that was our our thought. Just by a show of hands, how many people have a poem to share? Just to get an idea. Oh um, <laughs> yeah, <yeah>. wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we need to get on with the program then. <laughs> and if you have a comment, you know, if you yeah. Of- yeah, in in between. Uh we're, we're to I'm just gonna open it and, and you can pick up uh, after the other person has concluded the poem. Uh, and if there isn't any comment about it, the next person can just pick up on it. Uh, otherwise if you don't pick up on it quickly enough, you'll have me intervene with my
3: paper. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd like to say something. I, mean, t- I see poetry as the spoken word. And when I was growing up, my uncle would listen to Dylan Thomas um, on rec- recordings as he painted in his studio. And I've always, you know, I've always, when I've read poetry, um, I've always read it aloud. And it's, a, it's really the spoken word. And I think that's one reason that poetry isn't that popular in America, because we tend to see reading as a solitary activity. And when you're reading a piece of literature, you're sort of just in yourself. But when you read poetry, you're actually listening to your own voice, and you're hearing the voice of the the poet. And so there's a conversation going on. And I think that what I would hope is that as people read their poems, we see it as a conversation, a community conversation, and maybe pause um, and depending on how much time there is. I I have two poems that I picked. One's very short, one's a little longer. I don't know if I'll read both of them. It depends on how much time there is. But um, I think it's a lost art our culture, and I think it's rather sad, and I'm really pleased that we're doing this today. And,
8: and evidently, reading in a solitary form it's a, it's a very new phenomenon. and uh, People um, were always read to. It was it was a public thing and it was considered sort of asocial to read alone. And now that's completely different now. But, uh, and people used to be read to as they worked, which is, I think, fascinating.
1: Yeah. Okay. So who would like to be first? Go. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's <coughs> <I don't know. coughs>
4: And the first thing that came to my mind when I read this on the internet was a quote from the Greek dramatist Aeschylus, and uh, this is a translation by Edith Hamilton, who wrote a book called The Greek Way, which was very popular in the 60s, and I guess it's about suffering, that's what made me think about it. And her introduction uh, is, Aeschylus believed in the justice of God whatever that meant in the Greek time. The truth he found in the experience of men, which the men of his generation must have realized far beyond others, that pain and error have their purpose and their use. Uh, Aeschylus had been in the Persian wars, the battle of uh, what was the big battle we did? Um, okay. And uh, that pain and error have their purpose and their use there. The steps of the ladder of knowledge And this is a recitation of the chorus. God, whose law it is that all who learn must suffer, and even in our sleep pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart, and in our own despite, against our will, comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. (laughs)
5: Okay.
4: <laughs> I could uh, I
1: could give you a copy. I'm concerned about getting everyone a chance, Paul. Could I give you a copy? Mm-hmm. Of this? Let, let, me, let me add this as a, perhaps a little bit of instruction. Uh, you may notice that when we speak quickly without thinking or rush to get our ideas across, our words don't carry the same power as when we speak slowly and confidently allowing those receiving our words time to speak, uh, to receive our words, uh, time and space to take them in. When we carefully listen to others before we speak, our words have more integrity. And when we take time to center ourselves before speaking, we truly begin to harness the power of speech. Then our words can be intelligent messengers of healing and light, transmitting deep and positive feelings to those who receive them. So I encourage everybody to take their time with the bottom and uh, kind of listen. listen actively. Thank you.
9: Going from the ancient to the modern, <laughs> this is Ginsburg. And, uh, this is a poem that was written on November tenth, nineteen ninety-six, in the last six months of his life. Gone. Gone, gone. The one moon is sinking. Under the white wave, and time is sinking with me. Oh, Robert Burns. Yes, it's gone, gone, gone. Gone, gone away. Yes, it's gone, gone, gone. Gone, gone away. Yes, it's gone, gone, gone. Gone, gone away. Yes, it's gone, gone, gone. It's all gone. Gone, 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 won't be back today. Gone, 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 just like yesterday. Gone, 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 isn't any more. Gone to the other shore. Gone, 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 it wasn't here to stay. Yes, it's gone, 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 all gone up to play. Yes, it's gone. Gone, gone, until another day. No one here to pray. Gone, gone, gone. Yeah, you your life away. No promise to betray. Gone, gone, gone. Somebody else will pay the national debt. No way. Gone, gone, gone. Your furniture lay away. Plan gone astray. Gone, gone, gone. Made hay gone, 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 sunk in Baez Bay. Yes, it's gone, 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 wallet in all you say. Gone, 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 so you can waive your pay. Yes, it's gone, 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 gone last Saturday. Yes, it's gone, 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 tomorrow's another day. Gone, 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 bald and old and gay, gone, 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 turned old and gray. Yes, it's gone, 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 white beard and cold. Yes, it's gone, 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 cashmere scarf and gold. Yes, it's gone, 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 warped and woof and wold. Yes, it's gone gone, gone, gone far, far away to the home of the brave, down into the grave, yes, it's gone, 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 moon beneath the wave, yes, it's gone, 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 so I end this song, gone to kick the gong, yes, it's gone, 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 no more right and wrong, yes, is gone, 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 gone away. I'm
10: going to read a couple of short um, verses from Rumi. Um, One of the, I guess, most famous uh, Mystical spiritual Sufi poets way back in the twelve hundreds. So pretty short. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas language even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense this is a poem called the guest house and it's uh, very appropriate for me right now it's been a rough ten days for me with a lot of things happening in my life that you know we're not really invited and causing me a lot of turmoil and so I chose this as a result the guest house this being human is a guest house every morning a new arrival a joy a depression a meanness some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor welcome and entertain them all even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some <clears throat> new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond.
3: Um, I'm going to read a short poem from Kavafi, he's a Greek poet, was born to uh, Greek heritage in Egypt and worked as a librarian and wrote lots of poetry and became um, much more um, popular um, after his death. And the poem I'm going to read is called Return. Return often and take me, beloved sensation. Return and take me when the memory of the body awakens and old desire again runs through the blood. When the lips and the skin remember, and the hands feel as if they touch again, return, return often, and take me at night, when the lips and the skin remember. And then I have one other. It's a little long. <coughs> Two young men, 23 to 24. He had been at the café since 10.30, expecting to see him come in presently. Midnight went, and he still waited for him. <coughs> Half past one went. The café was almost entirely empty. He grew weary of reading newspapers mechanically. Of his three solitary shillings, only one was left him. He had waited so long, he had spent the others on coffees and cognacs. He had smoked all his cigarettes. Such waiting was exhausting him. For as he was alone for hours, troublesome thoughts took hold of him, of the life that had led him astray. But when he saw his friend enter, instantly, fatigued, (coughs) boredom, thoughts vanished. His friend brought him unexpected news. He had won 60 pounds at a gambling house. Their handsome faces their marvelous youth, the sensitive love each felt for the, for the other was refreshed, reanimated, fortified by the 60 pounds of the gambling house. And full of joy and vigor, feeling and beauty they went, not to the homes of their honorable families, where besides they were no longer wanted, but to a friend's house, a very particular house of depravity. And they asked a bedroom and expensive drinks, and again they drank. And when the expensive drinks were finished, and since it was almost four o'clock in the morning, they gave themselves happily to love.
11: Um, this poem is one of my favorites, and I chose it because it sort of reminds me of. Suffering and interdependence and how that leads to compassion. It's called Kindness uh, by Naomi Shinabnay. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things, feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend.
6: What's the operating
4: system? I is mean, she Shihab Nye. <coughs> <coughs>
12: I wanted to read something by um And it was hard for me to make a decision because there's so many that I really uh, relate to. What I like about Whitney is that he um, doesn't see the spirit and the body as two separate things, but it's all a piece. It's all one. We're, we're all one thing. And uh, he, he comes back into the present moment and into the, what I call a the world of everyday life, after his uh, thoughts. And so this is called, Of the Terrible Doubt of Appearances. Of the terrible doubt of appearances, of the uncertainty after all that we may be deluded, that maybe reliance and hope are but speculations after all and that maybe identity beyond the grave is a beautiful fable only. Maybe the things I perceive, the animals, plants, men, hills, shining and flowing waters, the skies of day and night, colors, densities, maybe these are only apparitions, and the real something has yet to be known. How often they dart out of themselves as if to confound me and mock me. How often I think neither I know nor any man knows anything about them. Maybe, seeming to me what they are, as doubtless they but seem, from my present point of view, they might prove, as of course they would, not of when they appear, or not at all, from an entirely changed point of view. To me, these and the likes of these are curiously answered by my lovers and my dear friends. When he whom I love travels with me or sits along while holding me by the hand, when the subtle air, the impalpable, the sense that words and reason hold not, surround us, and pervade us. Then I am charged with untold and untellable wisdom. I am silent. I require nothing further. I cannot answer the question of appearances or that of identity beyond the grave, but I walk and I sit indifferent. I am satisfied. He, a hold of my hand, has completely satisfied me.
13: I've chosen Mrs. Dorothy Parker, who was no stranger to gay men. In fact, she married one, <laughs> twice. <laughs> she was also no stranger to what we call Zuga, the unsatisfactory nature of life. She would certainly raise her glass to that concept. Mm-hmm. This poem is called Men. They hail you as their morning star because you are the way you are. If you return the sentiment, they'll try and make you different. And once they have you safe and sound, they want to change you all around. Your moods and ways they put a curse on. They make of you another person. They cannot let you go your gate. They influence and educate. They alter all that they admire. They make me sick. <laughs> they make me tough. <laughs> Thank
1: you. <laughs>
0: Kind of hard to go on the heels of that. I actually chose two pieces today, one which I'm going to read, uh, because Carl read one of them, "Rumi's Guest House, which is a piece I really love, and it's a part of my practice, and so from a 13th century mystic onto a 19th century mystic, I'm going to read a piece by Osho. Prayer is about becoming receptive, it's about learning the art of relaxation rather than learning the strategies of how to conquer our reality. Truth is not going to be a conquest, it is going to be total surrender. It's about becoming a host, it's about opening up. It's about becoming receptive so that the wind can come in, the rain can come in. And the sun can come in. And just behind the wind, the rain, and the sun comes the guest. And the guest does not come from the outside. It arises within you. God is the guest. You are the host. You become a welcome. You become a prayer. You become an invitation. And the host is waiting always waiting. You are waiting with tears in your eyes and with tremendous trust in your heart.
1: I have two poems to offer. They're both modern poems. The uh, first one, unfortunately, I can't tell you the author uh, uh, the title is Two Travelers, Maroon Lake, Colorado. You slide out of the mummy bag, uncurling like a fiddlehead fern, as if our feet uh, could root, our arms stretch around a new life nowhere but here. Wild asparagus, alpine honey, a trail cutting between hemlock and blue spruce toward private sunsets on West Maroon Pass. Over the lake a kingfisher rattles alarm, another wheat and a slow tonnage of gold will pour off the aspens. Each black veined leaf that drops in your lap is inked with an indelible eviction. If we leave a few bones in the fire pit, if we take the smoke in our hair, and our skin runs sweet with sage and wild fennel, what is that to the sanctuary? a flock of migrants lifts off the lake, the wind polishes the maroon bells to an icy gleam. Tomorrow morning that wind will erase the shapes of our sleep from the grass, and the kingfisher renew its pre-human covenant with the lake, a sliver of a live rainbow in its beak. By noon, an over the shoulder glance the far shore will compress this scene. Grass, water glitter the feathery evergreens into an iridescent wing, hovering over nothing. The mirage is where we are. The next one uh, is a very, very recent poem. Uh, are there any Canadians in the room from Canada? I So you have to, you have to know Canadians. You have to know ice hockey. You have to know Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope many do. The, the title is "Why I Love Wayne Gretzky," <laughs> an erotic fantasy <laughs> by Bila Nickerson. Why I Love Wayne Gretzky. Because he knows what to do with pucks, slapshots, wrist shots, all that intricate stick work as he slips through the defensemen, shoots between the legs, and scores. Because he likes to pretend I'm the Zamboni and he the filthy ice. Because even if he's tired, he'll perk up he'll whenever I sing O Canada. Because sometimes my dyslexia makes me see a giant 69 on his back. Because he's always ready for overtime. Because he never shoots, then snores. Because he understands the importance of a good organ player. Because he calls me his stick boy. Because he likes to be tied up with the laces from the skates. Because behind every great because behind every great man it feels good <laughs> well, I
3: have
5: a poem of the poem by Rumi <coughs> but, um, um, this poem has meant a lot to me for the last eight years and uh, I struggles with emotional anorexia,
3: so I wanted to share it.
5: If you can't go to sleep, my dear soul, for tonight, what do you think will happen? If you pass your night and merge it with dawn for the sake of heart, what do you think will happen? If the entire world is covered with the blossoms you have labored to plant, what do you think will happen? If the elixir of life that has been hidden in the dark fills the desert and towns, what do you think will happen? If because of your generosity and love a few souls find your lives, what do you think will happen? If you pour an entire jar filled with joyous wine on the head of those already drunk, what do you think will happen? Go, my friend, bestow your love even on your enemies. If you touch their hearts, what do you think will happen?
6: to it in my junior year of college and I would say this poem over and over to my grandmother from time to time as she got into her 90s so I would like to share that with you guys well son I'll tell you life for me ain't been no crystal stair it's had tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up and places with no carpets on the floor bare but all the time I've been a climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in dark where there ain't been no light in years. So boy, don't you turn back. Don't you sit down on those steps because you find it kind of hard. Don't you fall now. While I still going, honey, I still climbing. And life for me ain't been no crystal stair. poem means a lot to me because it shows the ability to keep going no matter what you come across in life. And we've all been running into a lot of things in life and we have to just keep going. And whenever I think about that, think about this poem, it always makes me go to the next level.
4: I have a poem by T.E. Hume who wrote about 100 years ago in English. English <coughs> um, called The Embankment and it has a subtitle. That it, it's, it's very short and it has a subtitle that tells what it's about. Um, the subtitle is The Fantasia of a Fallen Gentleman Upon the Embankment. Um, and the modern American translation of that might be the reveries of a homeless person trying to sleep in a, in a doorway on a cold night. Once in flash of fantasy, in flash of gold heels, found I ecstasy. Now see
14: I the works, the very stuff of poesy. O God, make small that old star-eaten blanket of the sky,
4: that I may wrap it round me and in comfort lie.
14: This is by Alice Block, Bloch, B L O C H. I'm not familiar with her work. She was born in 1947. Um, uh, I ran across it many years ago and was struck by it. And Xeroxed it anthology, um, and I read it to my partner last night, and he kind of oafed. One of his favorite poems. It's called Six Years for Nancy. A friend calls us an old married couple, I flinch, you don't mind, on the way home you ask why I got upset, we are something like that, like what she said you say, I say no, we aren't married, no one has blessed this union, no one gave us kitchen gadgets, we bought our own blender, we built our common life in the space between the laws. Six years, what drew us together, a cartographer, a magnetic force, our bodies, our speech, the wind, a hunger. Listeners both, we talked. I wanted your lean, wired energy, control, decisiveness, honesty, your past as an athlete. You wanted my culture, Gentleness. Warmth. Of course that was doomed. You brought out my anger. I resist your control. Your energy exhausts me. My hands are too hot for you. You gained the weight I lost. My gentleness is dishonest. Your honesty is cruel. You hate my reading. I hate your motorcycle. Yet something has changed. You have become gentler, I more decisive. We walk easily around our house, into each other's language. There is nothing we cannot say together. Solid ground under our feet, we know this landscape. We have no choice of destination. The only route is a mystery, every day, a new map of the same terrain.
2: i actually brought a, a book but I think I'm going to try and struggle for a couple from semi-memory which um, tend to bookend my experience I guess, book and my years, quite short. the first one um, must be a roomy one because I'm picturing the, the illustrated roomie I had at home uh, it's called The Worm and it, it is, um, there is a worm addicted to eating grape leaves. <laughs> Suddenly he wakes up, Court of grace, whatever. Um, he's no longer a worm, he's, he's in <clears throat> excuse me, the entire vineyard and the orchard too. The trunk, the leaves, and the fruit a growing wisdom and joy that doesn't need to devour. And the second one is um, (coughs) one by another Sufi poet called um, Ephes, not quite as well known as Rumi. And it's called um, The God That Only Knows Four Words. And it nicely balances the other Rumi ones in my experience. Every child has known God. Not the God of names. Not the God of don'ts. Not the God who ever does anything weird at all. But the God who only knows four words and keeps repeating them. Saying, come dance with me. Come dance.
15: One I heard in a sermon about 20 years ago. I bought the sermon and I read it over and over again. So this is a poem out of that sermon. Um, I thought of happiness. This is by May Sarton from the work of Happiness. I thought of happiness and how it is woken out of the silence in the empty house each day and how it is not sudden, and it is not given. But it is creation itself like the growth of a tree. No one has seen it happen, but inside the bark, another circle is growing in the expanding rain. No one has heard the root go deeper in the dark. But the tree is lifted by this inward work, and its plumes shine, and its leaves are glittering. So happiness is woven out of the peace of hours, and strikes its roots deep in the house alone. The old chest in the corner, cool wax floors, white curtains softly and continually blown. As the free air moves quietly about the room, a shelf of books, a table, the whitewashed wall, these are the dear familiar gods of home. And here the work of faith, best be done. The growing tree is green and musical. For what is happiness, but growth and peace, the timeless sense of time when furniture has stood a lifespan in a single space, place. And as the air moves, so the old dreams stir. No one has heard, thought, or listened to a mind. But where people have lived in inwardness, the air is charged with blessing and does bless. Windows look out on mountains and the walls are kind.
16: actually no title to it. Um, Actually, I wrote it, and I wrote it this morning. (laughs) (laughs) There was once a boy, long, long time ago, who was ever so happy. He had a shiny red two-wheel bicycle, and his good friend Patrick, his loving grandmother and nearby Golden Gate Park to play, explore, and frolic in. His grandmother would write down these long rows and columns of arithmetic problems. He would solve them as quickly as possible and rush back and return them for her review and approval. His gaze would fall on his grandmother's face as she flooded him with love, praise attention. He just loved his grandmother so much. She was his special angel on earth. He loved how he felt being around her. He could feel her ever-flowing love bathe over his body and her genuine, gentle spirit enveloped his entire being. Many of his favorite times was with his grandmother. Just being around her, sometimes sitting on her lap with her favorite Lawrence Welk TV program playing in the background. He would intently watch as she carefully peeled and cut an apple, giving him the best and the juiciest pieces. How safe and secure he felt, being close, having a grown-up pay attention and notice him. She really saw him. She saw his pain. Shortly after, his grandmother passed away. There are massive layers of fog between that time and now. The young boy now is an adult. Kind of lost, navigating ground, and supposedly on some sort of river or path that is supposed to bring him more happiness. But again, somehow he's lost his way. Remembering his grandmother, remembering those simple, loving
13: Quality moments help him find his way. I'll do two lines. Um, it's Nel mezzo di nostra vita mi
8: ritrova in una selva oscura che la diretta via la smaretta. The first two lines are about three volumes the Divine Comedy. In the middle of the journey of my life, I found myself in a forest for the direct way I was lost. And in the classical um, thinking, a man's life, a man spans three score and ten, seven years. So that poem starts on his 35th birthday. And um, it's just that, that sense of being lost is always spoken to me, even before I was 35, <laughs> and until today. Uh, I'm going to read a poem by uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, who was a Victorian Jesuit from a uh, talented, gifted uh, family, educated at Oxford. and. Um, And then went into the, uh, became a Jesuit because he had met um, Newman in the the renewal of Catholicism going on in England. And um, he was his whole life under enormous uh, conflict because he was was a composer and he was an artist and a a poet and yet he had renounced all worldly ambition. Um, but uh, thankfully, um, some of the higher ups in the order um, discovered his talent and kept getting him writing assignment <laughs> so that he, he had time to, to write. He was not, um, he never got much uh, thing during his lifetime. But he was also the um, oldest brother of seven siblings, and some of his parishes were in <coughs> four uh, districts, so he was very sensitive to um, uh, children's experience. Um, he also he had a wonderful um, idea he, because of his musicality, um, and he was, he was a, a mystic. He had a sense of natural objects having <laughs> what he called the inscape, which was their sort of <clears throat> divinely given form, and the instress was the energy of that that would communicate to us. Um, and he, had, he, he was very playful and uh, strenuous in his use of rhythms. Anyway, this is called Spring and Fall to a Young Child. Okay, cool to and this is especially um I, I i love this year it's about loss um last week a very old uh beloved college friend died unexpectedly and um it just reminds me how unprepared i am um, even though it's not the first anyway uh, spring fall to a young child margaret are you grieving over golden grove on the evening? Leaves like the things of man you with your fresh thoughts care for, can you? Ah, as the heart grows older it will come to such sights colder by and by, nor spare aside the worlds of one that weep no lie, and yet you will weep and know why. Now no matter child the name, sorrow springs are the same, nor mouth had no nor mind expressed, what heart heard of, ghost guest. It is the blight man was born for. It is Margaret you mourn
1: for. by hundred minutes long. You're just about out of time, <clears throat> so unless there's someone who has an urgent need nope,
7: yeah. sure. to... <laughs> this is from the prophet uh, Khalil Gibran. Then a woman said, Speak to us of joy and sorrow. And he answered, Your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven? And is not the lute that soothes your spirit the very wood that was hollowed with knives? When you are joyous, look deep into your heart, and you you shall find it is only that which has given you sorrow that has given you joy. When you are sorrowful, look again in your heart, and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which which has been your delight. Some of you say joy is greater than sorrow, and others say, Nay, sorrow is the greater, but I say unto you, they are inseparable. Together they come, and when when one sits alone with you at your board, remember that the other is asleep upon your bed. Verily, you are suspended like scales between your sorrow and your joy, Only when you are empty are you at standstill and balanced. When the treasure keeper lifts you to weigh his gold and his silver, needs must your joy or your sorrow rise or fall. Hopefully one or more of
1: these poems can have touched you in some way, uh, communicated to you the power of words. And um, with that, the power of word and thought and mind Um, I can generalize the experience we've all shared here, and leave you with something to think about in the future days. The more conscious we become, the more we deepen our relationship to the words we use, so that we speak from a place of actually feeling what we are saying. We begin to recognize that words are not abstract, disconnected entities used only to convey meaning They're powerful transmitters of feeling. For the next few days, you might want to practice noticing how the words you say and hear affect your body and your emotional state. Notice how the different communication styles of the people in your life make you feel. Also, watch closely to see how your own words come out and what effect they have on the people around you. Okay, unless uh, I, I there's further comment, we'll move on to announcements. And I do realize at the beginning when we introduced ourselves, I didn't ask if there was anybody new attending today the yeah, or somebody who recently returned mm-hmm. into the group. No? Okay. Um, so, with that, uh, we have a host today, I guess. Yes? Okay. I brought some fruit,
16: Uh, there's vegetarian crackers, I think, there's tea to the left, as you know, and there's also a donna bowl, and so whatever you feel you can give to help the sangha, because we have to rent the space, that would be really great. And if you do drink some tea, please clean your cup afterwards.
1: Any other announcements?
10: Um, I want to tell the group about a uh, gay Buddhist book club that meets on Thursday night at the uh, in the Castro. It's from 7:30 to 9. And um, if you want more information about it, you can look at the website gaysanga.org or talk to me. It's uh, interesting books and a nice group of guys uh, every Thursday night in the Castro at 7:30.
2: The yeah. um, group seems to have disappeared, but there is a prison outreach meeting next Sunday. I posted it on the web this week. The details are there on the list sir. And if you need to know more, I don't have them with me. You can ask me, I can send them to you. Uh,
8: next week, um, Justin Haptu is a long term member of this community um, and uh, has spoken to us a number of times in the past, really speaking. He's as a Jungian psychotherapist, and he's going to be relating that to the Buddhist notion of chelos, which are negative mind states, and how the mind will with, work with those. Um, also, found out that David is not, has not been subscribed to the listserv. Anyone else who is not getting, who's not joined the listserv here, okay, all right, good.
1: Close. Gather in a circle. Please, please. <laughs> Practice. May, we, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity, without too much attachment or too much aversion, and live believing in the equality of all that lives."